Hello. Welcome to Discovering Jazz, where you and I together discover great music, picking up information to keep jazz old and new alive. My name is Larry Sademan, here in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, sponsored by Peterborough Independent Podcasters. I've had three episodes focusing on the Edmonton jazz scene, including Jazz City and the internationally renowned jazz club, the Yardbird Suite. I still have lots of great interview clips from people who have been at the forefront of this jazz scene, and lots of great music by local, national, and international jazz players who have played such an important role in making Edmonton into a jazz city. So allow me to put this potpourri of information and music into one more program. But to ensure that the music remains the primary focus, let me start with a track from a CD by an artist who recently had his release party, his CD release party at the Yardbird Suite. And it was such a great concert that at halftime, I went out to the lobby and bought the CD. I play it a lot. And they seem to play it a lot during Yardbird Suite intermissions. It's bassist Rubem de Toledo, an Albertan of Brazilian origin. Here's one of my favorites from the album, based on an early musical rhythm of Cuban origin. It's called Danza para los Difuntos, which I believe translates as Dance for the Dead. Rubem de Toledo. <laughs> Thank you. 
Rubim de Toledo with Chris Andrew, keyboard, Jamie Cooper on drums, and Raul Tabera on percussion. In interviewing people currently involved in Edmonton's Yardbird Suite, in this case, Executive Director Todd Crawshaw and past President Francis Remedios, I asked the following question. Do you think there's anything about anything specific about the city of Edmonton that has contributed to the Yardbirds surviving all those years when other clubs didn't? Well, it's the, I would say it's the volunteer spirit in Edmonton. I mean, Edmonton is full of volunteers. People like to volunteer for different things. We have these long winters, right? Um, and they want to get out of the house. So the, the, the spirit of volunteering is very, very important. Okay, right. I'd like to tag on to that. Um, there's a radio service in the province you might be familiar with called CKUA Radio. Now, because of Edmonton's northernmost, you know, climate, and historically we often missed out on some good touring acts. In a lot of respects, we had to create our own um, musical vibe. We had to create our own scene. And I cannot give enough props to CKUA in particular, which is older, by the way, than CBC. Right. Um, they were able to help educate. Um, and I'm not just talking about urban folks and dwellers. Uh, you go out to the farms around Stetler, you're going to find a lot of farmers listening to uh, Afro World beat in their combines and not just country and western. What I think about Edmonton, aside from what Francis said about this high rate of volunteerism, is we have a very uh, sophisticated, musically uh, educated audience. Um, and I'm going to attribute a lot of that to what CKUA did as a very unique offering in this province. So we are blessed still with an audience, and I know this from talking with other centers, other locations. Edmonton has got a very unique, educated audience that appreciates sophisticated music, and I think that has helped contribute to the longevity of this club. CKUA originally came out of the University of Alberta's Department of Extension in 1927 as a way to extend university courses and lectures to people in rural areas. It's been on its last leg several times and now is very much a community radio station, surviving on listener donations. We recently had a Los Angeles-based pianist, producer, and organist, appropriately named Doug Organ, host one of the Yardbird Suite's Tuesday night jam sessions. His album of instrumental library music called Quiet in the Library topped CKUA's album charts earlier this year. Here's a short track from that album. He calls it theme from the organ grinder, Code Switching, Doug Organ.
keyboardist and composer Doug Organ from an album that was played a lot at CKUA. And uh, Organ recently played at the Yardbird Suite. I encourage all of you to go to CKUA.com and give a listen to this amazing radio station based out of Edmonton and covering all of Alberta on the FM dial. Jazz City founder Mark Vasey was also motivated, thanks to CKUA, to go down to New York and interview a number of jazz artists and agents, and the relationships that he formed allowed him to bring up so many of these great artists to play in Edmonton. Let's hear him describe it. Just the fact that you had gone down to New York, you had interviewed them, many of them for CKUA, did that connection play a part, do you think, in getting some of these people to come here? Oh, oh, uh, certainly. I, I met key, key, key agents and managers in, this, in the 70s, particularly, and into the 80s. Where, whereas before, as I say, we would deal mostly, with, mostly directly with, uh, with the artists themselves. We had their trust, you know. We'd already, we'd been, we'd already produced a hundred shows in the previous ten years, or whatever, whatever it was, and we had the viability, and we always had good quality pianos and sound systems and stage managers, and you know all this kind of stuff. We had we had credibility, so that helped. That, that helped helped as well. You have to remember that that prior to uh, about the mid '80s, mid to late '80s, there was very little work internationally for especially bands you know the Europeans have been bringing solo artists like like we did for years and years and years uh, you know playing with local rhythm sections which is what we did as well it was the only viable economically viable way for an artist so someone like Woody Shaw or Pepper Adams or or uh, or uh, Charles Tolliver these people to to actually work they had they had to, they couldn't bring a band with them there was not enough not enough fee to, to to bring bands so most of the artists especially after the after the 60s uh mid 50s to 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 mid 60s most of the artists had to had to travel by themselves you know as individual artists and pick up which was really challenging i remember sitting with pepper adams who played here in edmonton Probably a dozen times over that over that period from '72 to to his death in 1986, uh, talking about how difficult it was to, and 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 even here in Edmonton, how difficult it was to to work with a different piano player, different rhythm section, different drummer, you know, every week or every night or whatever. He was traveling around traveling around Europe. You know, it was right. very hard on your on your your artistic temperament. <laughs> to do that, you know. If you listen to last year's release of Pepper Adams with the Tommy Banks Orchestra live at Room at the Top, you can get a sense of how Pepper Adams was able to adapt. And it helped, as Mark said, that we had such great local musicians for him to play with. Let's hear some Pepper Adams, where he got to play with a band that he picked and played with regularly, with Roland Hanna on piano, George Mraz bass, and Billy Hart drums, and the baritone sax of Pepper Adams. From the Reflectory album of 1978, here's his unusual version of Duke Ellington's Sophisticated Lady, featuring his powerhouse baritone sax that never lets up. Pepper Adams Quartet. Thank you. 
The baritone sax of Pepper Adams, Sophisticated Lady. I'm going to repeat a clip from a previous program, the second of the two where Mark Vasey spoke about Jazz City. I had asked him for some memorable moments from the early years, and these would have been memories from over 50 years ago. So understandably, it wasn't easy to recall them, but then I showed him a list from the Yardbird Suite archives of the first three years of Jazz City. That would have been 1980, 1981, and 1982. And I think that just the real realization of the number of amazing artists he had booked into that Jazz City Festival almost spooked him. Well, I mean, you know, uh, it was it was great to 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 meet uh, Dizzy Gillespie. He was he was and the Modern Jazz Quartet, Milt Jackson. They mm-hmm. they were they were wonderful individuals to work with and and they were you know, they were they were open to all kinds of things. Dizzy sat in with lots of different people when he was he was here, um, and Milt Jackson as well, and yeah, they were, and they worked w- with one another in, in an infor- informal basis. Um, you know, there's so there's so many. This blows me away, actually. This, this to see this, <laughs> the timeless all stars, the Art Ensemble Chicago. Those gentlemen were fabulous to work with, and great, great individuals, and and you know, working with us, and and. They just, uh, they were, tr- you know, they're true artists, these people. They're, they're, I mean, look at this list that you've just handed me here. Incredible. Uh-huh. Michael Brecker, the Brecker brothers. Dave Holland always. Horace Silver, yeah. Wow. Yeah, this is quite, uh, reading this list is pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah. Gary Burton was a, was a gem. Yeah, crazy. Burt Wilson from Seattle. J.J. Johnson, yeah. Yeah. He he played at the Yardbird Suite. That mm-hmm. was his that was his venue, yeah, for the when he was here. Mark mentioned J.J. Johnson, a performance that encompasses both Jazz City and the Yardbird Suite. Thinking about jazz artists who have played in Edmonton, Johnson's name needs to be up there with those other amazing innovators who played here. Daisy Gillespie, Horace Silver, Art Blakey, John Lewis, etc. Along with John Lewis and Gil Evans and Gunther Schuller, Johnson, a trombonist, was very much a founder of what is called third stream music. That's an amalgam of jazz and classical music. He was quite the prolific composer, and near the end of his life, he even wrote a book of exercises and etudes for jazz musicians. And in terms of bebop, it has been stated that J.J. Johnson did for the trombone what Charlie Parker did for the saxophone. Here's one of his tunes that has almost become a jazz standard. It's called Enigma. This is a recording he made in 1996 with the Brass Orchestra. So many great musicians on that album that I can't even list them. J.J. Johnson.
from 1996, the late and great trombonist and composer J.J. Johnson, Enigma, a recording made about 15 years after he appeared at the Yardbird Suite as part of the Jazz City Festival. Let's now go to Mark Vasey's account of how the current location of the Yardbird Suite was found and how it was almost lost. As I mentioned last week, the Edmonton Jazz Society was getting pretty tired of existing for so many years without a venue. One day I was I was driving along on the building where the Yardbird is there now, the corner of 86th Avenue and, and Gate, Gateway Boulevard. Uh, there was a sign on the side of the building, uh, uh, it, and it said, for rent. So I, I pulled over and pulled in, in front, and the door was open, the front door was open, and there was a fellow in there. Uh, this, this, this room had been, been rented by a group of architects. It was like, a, like an architectural art gallery. And they'd built a bar, there was a bar there, uh, uh, and it was, it was a private club, basically. It was a private club for architects. Anyway, anyway, it turns out that they weren't able to keep it going. They were, they were going out of business, basically. So I got the name of the, of, of, of the owner of the building, and that building, that entire building, not, not the new section that the theater company is in there, but that building was used by CN or CP Railway as a storage facility because the railway tracks were right there. It used to, used to go right, right by the building there. So, so I contacted you know the landlord and and we met at the building and and with a couple of other members of the of the Jazz Society and we we negotiated a a, a fee. I think it was in November, 1984. We managed to borrow. A grand piano from the CBC, a Baldwin piano, because they came in to record in that building the first time one of the shows we were doing. I don't remember which one, and they brought their Baldwin piano. We used our same sound system that we'd had for for years, the portable sound system, and and we we got volunteers to to help fix the building up. We had to put a firewall between the next section of the building, you know, fire rated drywall. So. We got some drywall donated, and we had volunteer labor, and and one of our one of our our, our people was a carpenter, and he he did you know the chair rails around uh, all around the around the building, and refer we refurbished the kitchen to a certain extent, all with volunteer labor and 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 whatever little profit we had made over the years, which was very small. I mean, a few thousand dollars maybe, um, but I started looking into the possibility of buying the buying the building, and I discovered uh, the building sat on city-owned properties. And so the city owned the land, but this private individual owned the buildings. So, uh, you know, it wasn't really worth very much. We got a grant from the city, the purchase of the building. We bought the whole building for $25,000, but we had to pay city taxes. We had to pay taxes on that land. Eventually... We were able to get the city to uh, to not charge us any any taxes. So basically, we got we were there for free, other than other than utilities. That's the only reason it survived. We had a fire in the building. They were replacing the. There used to be a hang down industrial furnace in the in the uh, just over the stage. We, we were getting a new serious 
furnace put in. They got the ceiling on fire. The the guys with their torches. It, it, the fire spread, spread, spread. The fire trucks came. They they immediately covered the the piano with with plastic, and then they got up there. They eventually put it out, and we reopened that night. Wow. <laughs> there was that much water on the floor of the of the Yardbird Suite. They sucked all the water out, got the fans going, and we opened. I th- I, I think John Handy was, was there as a, as a single, because in those days we were open, we were open five days a week. Managed to keep it going for for maybe, a half a year, going going five days a week, and then we we chopped it down to three, and then eventually to two days a week with special events happening on the Sunday. But yeah, we had a fire in that friggin' place. Just about lost the whole building. So Mark Fazy thinks that John Handy was slated to play that night after the big fire. And the fire didn't stop the music from happening. Let's play some John Handy. I'm not sure what he was playing during those early days of the Yardbird Suite, since between 1980 and 1988, his discography shows no albums recorded. But here's something from 1978 a Warner Brothers album called Where Go the Boats. This one's called Salud to Sunny, no doubt for tenor saxophonist Sunny Rollins. Here's John Handy on alto playing with Lee Rittenauer on guitar. Thank you. 
John Handy, salud to Sunny. One more quick comment from Mark Fazy as it emphasizes the struggle that the Yardbird has had over its 56 years to stay afloat. And it's a nice segue to a jazz singer that I want to play. Very seldom we would make any money. And all, all those shows up until I was involved in 1995, we, did, we, you know, we very seldom made money. Sheila Jordan once in a while would make money. So somebody who helped keep the Yardbird Suite alive, and she's still alive at the ripe age of almost 95, Sheila Jordan. A tune written by Abby Lincoln, Bird Alone, from her Jazz Child album of 1999, with Steve Kuhn on piano. Bird Alone Flying high Flying through Clouded sky Sending soulful Mournful sounds Soaring over Troubled grounds Bird alone With no mate Turning in fate Flying circles in the air Are you on your way somewhere Gliding soaring on the Flying way up there so high Wonder what's your story
Jordan, a tune written by another great songstress, Abby Lincoln, with some great piano from Steve Kuhn. The Yardbird Suite does a lot of work to keep jazz alive. Some of that takes the form of mentoring children and youth through the Little Birds program. Then there's the focus on giving new talent exposure through their emerging jazz artists, where lesser-known musicians are booked, often on Thursday nights. And, uh, Different, newer, newer artists are featured at the beginning of the Tuesday night jam sessions. And of course, the jam sessions themselves gives musicians of varying degrees of skill a chance to interact with some of the top-notch professionals. I've even felt free to play at those jam sessions, and uh, I'm the ultimate amateur. <laughs> I asked Todd and Francis to say a bit more about the Little Birds program, including talking about Little Bird's participants who have gone on to something bigger well, and better. I'm name two right off the top of the heads who have made very good professional careers in Edmonton and Alberta, who started playing here when they were 14 years old, or even younger, and that would be Don Berner, um, who's one of the go-to sax players. Not only does he have his own orchestra, he's creating his own nonprofit in the city, but he's one of those players that I consider to be plug and play. So when we've got a touring artist coming in, He's a cat who can look at a chart for five minutes and then play later that night like they've been playing for years. Another one is trombonist and recording artist and um, uh, band leader Audrey Coa, who once again started out as a uh, preteen or a teenager playing here. And guys like Joel Gray, the director of Little Birds, have really, um, and they're still doing it today, they're, they're creating um, and developing the next generation of professional players. We actually, this year, we just started the Junior Little Birds for kids who are even younger than the Little Birds, right? So, um, and, and these are practice, it's practicing, right? But it, within a group or a big band, it's very, very important. We're looking at, at kids as young as 11 who really have their sights set on becoming, if not professional muse- musicians, but people who have got a lifelong love affair of music. Todd mentioned Audrey Ochoa, a trombonist whose music I've played a few times on Discovering Jazz. She's got a brand new record out, which I'm looking forward to hearing. I'm going to play a track from it. The album's called The Head of a Mouse. Here's a tune featuring Chris Andrew on piano, Ruben Di Toledo, who we heard in the first track I played in this episode on bass, and uh, Louis Tovar, drums and percussion. This song is called Every Tragedy Needs a Punchline. Audrey Ochoa. Every 
Audrey Ochoa from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. The Yardbird Suite is doing some amazing things that develop new players. I pose the concern that some people have about jazz dying over the last 30 years and ask them what they are doing to expand the audience. Interesting and eloquent response from Todd. I don't think that jazz is dying so much as it's always been, quite frankly, or at least in my lifetime since the 70s, 80s, after jazz was the popular music in, in North America. Today, it's only 3 to 5% of uh, the nationwide music audience that would identify as jazz lovers. But there are far more out there than would identify. I came from a rock and roll culture. I produced a rock fest for a while. And when I got this job, I talked to other um, rockers who'd say, well, I just don't like jazz. And then I would ask them, it's like, like, what is jazz to you? And they would always talk about, you know, weird, esoteric, noodling, masturbatory stuff that is really inaccessible. And then I would say, well, do you like Steely Dan? Exactly. Like, that, that's a jazz band masquerading as a rock band. The Guess Who had uh, the hit with Undone. That's a pure jazz track that was a rock and roll hit. BTO with Looking Out for Number One. That's Randy Bachman, once again, as a rocker, who incorporated Lenny Bro's unique jazz stylings on guitar. So I think 
Our mission right now to expand our audience is to try to convince people that jazz is not what they necessarily think it is. It is an accessible, often melodic, often danceable form. To that end, we our jazz tent here is big. We'll bring in some blues. We'll bring in some uh, soul. We'll bring in some spoken word stuff that is a big tent that, but still, it's sophisticated enough to appeal to a quote-unquote jazz jurist. She's come undone She didn't know what she was headed for And when I found what she was headed for It was too Well, I don't know how many jazz scholars would accept Undone by the Guess Who as being a jazz tune, but I think all categories of music probably can be considered to be somewhere on a continuum. Might be an interesting topic for a future Discovering Jazz episode. But let's end with something that jazz people do refer to as jazz, even though it has so many other influences. I asked Todd and Francis about uh, obscure jazz artists who the Yardbird Suite booked and who afterwards became jazz icons. Edmonton is far enough away for these jazz, jazz artists. It's a bit expensive to fly here to play. So what we tried to do at that time was to find jazz artists who are up-and-comers, right? So you, you find people who are up-and-comers and then then we, have to, we don't have to pay them like $5,000 US, right? And then, so they, they come and they play, you know, and then, you know, two years later or something like that, Downbeat Rag- Magazine writes about them and boom, they, they charge me $5,000. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so, and you know, we did have, historically, and Francis can speak a lot more about the names, but... There's almost been a hoo-hoo throughout our history of names who are revered as icons. For example, Buddy Rich has taken our stage before. And when I drop that name to people, even non-jazz lovers, uh, they're familiar with the name right. at least. A young Wynton Marsalis, uh, Bill Frizzell, mm-hmm. who is now a guitar icon. Um, in fact, I have got, um, we've got in our back office uh, a copy of a very young-looking uh, Frizzell on the newsletter that we used to put out, and it dates back to 1990. We have a poster of Phil Woods, who may not be recognizable uh, uh, by name, but he's a cat who played with Ella. He played with all the big band greats. Um, he backed up. Uh, he was important in bebop era circles as well. So this is a guy who's a legend who went on for a 50 or 60 year career who played our club way back when, when he was a young man. So that other young man that uh, Todd mentions is, was Bill Frizzell, who played at the Yardbird Suite when he was very young. And um, let's finish up with something by him. It's always filed under jazz, even though this sounds pretty folky or middle of the road. And it features great jazz artists, Gerald Clayton on piano, Gregory Tardy on sax and clarinet, and Jonathan Blake on drums. And for next week, I think I'm going to go down to my storage locker and just look through a few of my LP records and pick out a few familiar ones and maybe a few not-so-familiar ones and play a track from, from them. This is Larry Sademan saying bye for now, ending with Bill Frizzell, Good Dog, Happy Man.